and welcome to Way Too Twog's Bagpipe and History Podcast, where I, your host Jeremy, explores the possible repertoire of 18th and early 19th century bagpipers. Come and let's enjoy some tunes. So the origins of this podcast, the premise of it, right, is me exploring 18th and 19th century repertoire of bagpipers. And the reason that is the case is that for 14 years, I portrayed an 18th century bagpiper for the National Park Service at Grand Portage National Monument. Uh, the Northwest Company, it's a Scottish-owned uh, fur trading company that hired a bagpiper, a guy named George Mackay, to come out and play bagpipes for them for the summer rendezvous. Uh, and then he wound up running a fur post kind of near where I live now on the Red River uh, for about seven years. Then he kind of disappears from history, maybe went on to the Battle of Waterloo. Anyway, I wanted to like recreate that that repertoire, but I didn't really know how to go about doing that. So a lot of times when I worked with the Park Service, I just played tunes that felt old to me. And if I played stuff that felt new, I would be, you know, I'd, I'd like have to have some elaborate story about how it matched thematically with what I was talking about if I was talking to visitors, or to make sure there's nobody around, uh, or famously if, um, you know, we were on a on a reservation, right? Grand Portage National Monument is on the Grand Portage Band of Ojibwe uh, Reservation, and there's a casino and kind of event area just across the bay from where this old fur trade post was, and so they had these weekends where people would be playing '50s music and '60s music really loud over the loudspeaker, and that always was a fun time for me because it was hard to compete with that sound all weekend, but the bagpipes could, and so on those days I would play Thunderstruck and you know, all kinds of weird stuff, because uh, obviously the idea that we were in the 18th century at a living history museum or at a historical experience was sort of shot, so might as well just have some fun with it. Anyway, um, lots of tunes that I relegated to sounding like, eh, that's too modern, it sounds too cool, have turned out to be kind of historic. Um, you know, last couple of years I did a deep dive episode on the gravel walk, which turned out to be much older than I gave it credit for. Um, and the tune that we are talking about today, which you can see from the title already, is Lark in the Morning. This is a tune that I absolutely assumed was much more recent than the 18th century. And so if I would have played it uh, at the National Park Service, I would have been like, mm, we're just going to come up with an excuse for why we're doing this or not talk about it too much. Um, and so I decided to do a episode about it, just like, well, you know, let's just look into it. It's kind of fun to look at these very popular session tunes and see what the history of them is. Um, and like the lark in the morning is my favorite session tune, uh, to the point where, you know, the, the last time I was, I was really going to sessions on a regular basis a couple years ago, I would get shy and bashful because I would inevitably want to leech, like launch into some O'Farrell tune that nobody knew. Um, and so when Dennis, the kind of host of the session, would call on me to play a tune and I wouldn't know what to do, he'd say, well, why don't we play the bird one? And I think we came close to almost like having an alternate title for Lark in the Morning because I played it so much. Anyway, so I, I started digging around and figuring out, like, well, what's the history of Lark in the Morning? Uh, it might be a fun podcast episode, even if it's one of these kind of outliers that starts in the 20th century. Wow, was I wrong. Um, this episode has been sitting half-finished for years, and uh, to the point where I don't even know <laughs> kind of where I first saw 
the the connecting thread. This is not my discovery. Somebody else made this discovery uh, of like kind of the roots of Lark in the Morning. I just read it, but I can't figure out where I read it at this point. I've been combing traditional tune archive and uh, some books and things, and I can't figure out where I first saw this. But uh, at some place, I saw that Lark in the Morning had a possible concordance with Over the Hills and Far Away, or Over the Hills and Far Away. And to me, and likely to you, unless you've seen my posts on social media with this kind of set, uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I was like, Over the Hills and Far Away? Like, like this? Here's 40 shillings on the drum For those who volunteer to come To list and fight the foe today Over the hills and far away O'er the hills and o'er the way Through Flanders, Portugal and Spain So this episode, uh, if you, like me, are a little bit baffled at the premise that Over the Hills and Far Away is a concordance or a a similar tune to Lark in the Morning, hang out, listen, I'm going to kind of trace that history. I don't really know how this happened, uh, but I can definitely see the roots of like, like where these tunes came from, where we go from this. To this. Accurately, it would be how we went from Over the Hills and Far Away to Lark in the Morning, for it does seem like Over the Hills and Far Away is the older melody, like that's the root melody for uh, this tune, for Lark in the Morning, uh, with roots all the way back to the 16th century for sure, and likely the 15th century at least. Uh, anyway, let's, I'll be quiet here, and let's just listen to John Tam sing it the first way I heard this tune which was as the opening soundtrack to the Sharp series. So likely you also heard it that way? Oh, 
So yeah, if you are anything like me, uh, that is where you first heard Over the Hills and Far Away 2, which is the opening soundtrack to the Sharp series. Uh, the Sharp series is a, it's a series of books written by Bernard Cornwell, and, you know, they're a hoot. I read them a bunch uh, when I was, I don't know, early 20s or something, and uh, there's a TV adaption with Sean Bean playing the, the lead character, Richard Sharp, who's kind of fighting his way through the Napoleonic Wars, and... Uh, you know, I, I really love the Patrick O'Brien series, but Patrick O'Brien complained uh, at some point that he didn't realize he was writing a series. He thought he was writing a one-off, and he wished he had written, uh, if he knew he was going to be writing a series of the, like, Aubrey Matra novels, he would have started it sooner rather than kind of where he did. And Bernard Cornwell has no, he had no misgivings. So, like, his first Sharps book is, like, Peninsula Campaign stuff, and... You know, he just eventually went back and wrote stuff that took place in India and took place, like, long before the Peninsula Campaign. And it's sort of interesting. So he has his uh, Richard Sharp character take place in the siege and kind of the battle of the of um, Batam, the kind of defeat of the Tapu Sultan by uh, Arthur Wellesley, which has a direct result in kind of how the fur trade plays out uh, here on the Red River. So it's it's sort of wild. It is turned into a thing that I talk about in my uh, world history class and my upcoming fur trade history class. Um, but yeah, Bernard Cornwell, cool dude. Like I Facebook requested, like friended him a dozen, half a dozen years ago or something. And like clockwork, you know, I, I'm terrible. I'm very bad at the Facebook uh, birthday etiquette, but like every year Bernard Cornwell wishes me an amazing birthday. And it just, every time it happens, it kind of like, I just go, whoa, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Makes me pretty cheery. So, uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, that's where I first heard Over the Hills and Far Away, sung by John Tams, just absolutely beautifully so. But uh, obviously, the tune predates a 90s television show. Uh, the earliest setting I'm going to play for you here comes from Playford. Uh, and this is a Playford kind of dancing master. This is from volume two. Uh, which puts it just at the beginning of the 18th century. So, you know, pretty recognizable already in Playford's day as Over the Hills and Far Away. So that's "Twas Over the Hills and Far Away" from Playford's uh, *Complete Dancing Master* from 1710. The next setting that I have is sort of the reason why it took so long for this episode to come into existence, and that's because it is songs, and there are so many songs. This is a very uh, favored melody for songs. It seems like the oldest one, uh, at least the oldest one I can find, is from 1719, and it's called Jockey's Lamentation, and it appears in a pretty lovely collection of tunes called uh, Songs Complete, Pleasant, and Divertive, set to music. Uh, I think this is another title for the uh, Wit and Mirth or Pills to Purge uh, Melancholy, although it might just be that that is included in the um, the collection of tunes um, that uh, National Library of Scotland has it. But anyway, it's 1719, uh, and there are two different settings. One uh, that is 
Jockey's Lamentation. And then after Jockey's Lamentation, there is a setting that is pretty similar to the John Tams one for the Sharps uh, series. Um, and yeah, so, you know, Over the Hills and Far Away, we've got this, we've got like some kind of long form ballads. Uh, and then we've also got um, very short opera usage of it and then political songs. So like there's, yeah, there's like three genres. So it feels like I kind of have to sing this very long song several times to kind of put it all in one place because all of the lyrics have like all the words, the songs all have different interesting parts, but it's like, they're not really isolated. Like they all have a vibe. I, ah, anyway, let's just listen to it. This is, uh, so like I said, this is Jockey's Lamentation. I think this is the oldest form of Over the Hills and Far Away. And that shows up in the chorus. Um, and I think there might even be earlier settings of it with that title. But uh, anyway, 1719, here is Jockey's Lamentation. Jockey met with Jenny, fair betwixt the dawning and the day, and Jockey now is full of care for Jenny, stole his heart away, although she promised to be true. Yet she, alas, has proved unkind, for which to make poor Jenny rue, for Jenny's fickle as the wind. And tis o'er the hills and far away, tis o'er the hills and far away, tis o'er the hills and far away, the wind has blown my plot away. Jockey was a bonny lad, as e'er was born in Scotland fair, but now poor Jockey is run mad, for Jenny causes his despair. Jockey was a piper's son, and fell in love while he was young, but all the tunes that he could play over the hills and far away and tis o'er the hills and far away tis o'er the hills and far away tis o'er the hills and far away the wind has blown my plot away when first I saw my Jenny's face, she did appear with sick of grace with muckle joy my heart was filled but now, alas, was sorrow killed, or was she put as true as fair? T'would put an end to my despair, but alas, this is unkind, which so does terrify my mind. T'was o'er the hills and far away, t'was o'er the hills and far away, t'was o'er the hills and far away, that Jenny stole my heart away. Did she but feel the dismal woe that for her sake I undergo? She surely then would grant relief and put an end to all my grief. But oh, she is as false as fair, which causes all my sad despair. She triumphs in a proud disdain and takes delight to see my pain. Tis o'er the hills and far away, tis o'er the hills and far away, tis o'er the hills and far away, that Jenny stole my heart away. Hard was my hap to fall in love with one that does so faithless prove, Hard was my fate to court the maid that has my constant heart betrayed. A thousand times she to me she swore she would be true forevermore. But oh, alas, with grief I say she stole my heart and run away. Twas o'er the hills and far away. Twas o'er the hills and far away. Twas o'er the hills and far away. 
that Jenny stole my heart away. Good gentle Cupid, take my part, and pierce this false one to the heart, that she may once but feel the woe, as I for her do undergo. Oh, make her feel this rage and pain, that for her love I do sustain. She sure would then more gentle be, and soon repent her cruelty. Tis o'er the hills and far away, tis o'er the hills and far away, tis o'er the hills and far away, the wind has blown my plot away. I now must wonder for her sake, since that she will no pity take into the woods and shady grove, and bid adieu to my false love. Since she is false, whom I adore, I ne'er will trust a woman more. From all the charms I'll fly away, and on my pipe will sweetly play. Tis o'er the hills and far away, tis o'er the hills and far away, tis o'er the hills and far away, the wind has blown my plot away, there by myself I'll sing and say, tis o'er the hills and far away, that my poor heart is gone astray. For which makes me grieve both night and day. Farewell, farewell, thou cruel she. I fear that I shall die for thee. But if I love this vow I'll make, To love no other for your sake. Tis o'er the hills and far away. Tis o'er the hills and far away. Tis o'er the hills and far away. The wind has blown my plot away. So yeah, it's kind of neat, right? Um, so slightly different chorus than I think people are used to. You know, the wind has blown my plot away. And another cool detail that like this song is about a piper, right? Like Jockey's a piper. Uh, it's also kind of fitting then if if Jockey's Lamentation, like this is the, the kind of, if we call this the root of it, and I might be wrong about that, but if we call this the root of the melody and it's all about, kind of a dude who is hopelessly uh, in love with a woman and she's unkind and he keeps on like making all these kind of pathetic lamentations about it. Uh, it's, it's an interesting side, uh, like side effect or something that then the recruiting officer uh, <laughs> used this as name is the same thing. So uh, this is uh, the recruiting officer or the Mary volunteers being an excellent new copy of verses upon raising recruits to the foregoing tune. So, you know, if Jockey's Lamentation is already pretty well known and it's all about a man being kind of hopelessly in love with a woman who is untrue, the recruiting sergeant's version or the recruiting officer version of this tune kind of references brats and women and don't you just want to go and get glory abroad and that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, that's like uh, the threat of pressing is in it too. I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll play the whole thing. It's, uh, it's pretty good. It gets a little bit long, uh, like these, like these do, but, uh, I think it's worth it. And it's similar to John Tam's from the Sharp series, but certainly not. Uh, and it's, it's, it's certainly not the exact same thing, but it's got the same vibe. Uh, anyway, so this is again from 1719, same source. Uh, this is just to the same melody. Hark now the drums beat up again for all true soldiers, gentlemen. Then let us list and march, I say, over the hills and far away, over the hills and northern main, to Flanders, Portugal, and Spain. Queen Anne commands and we'll obey, over 
Riverdale and far away All gentlemen that have a mind to serve the queen that's good and kind Come lust and enter into pay Then over the hills and far away O'er the hills and o'er the main To Flanders, Portugal and Spain Queen Anne commands and will obey Over the hills and far away Here's forty shillings on the drum For those that volunteer to come For shirts and clothes and present pay when over the hills and far away, o'er the hills and o'er the main, to Flanders, Portugal and Spain, Queen Anne commands and will obey, over the hills and far away. Hear that brave boys and let us go, or else we shall be pressed, you know. Then list and enter into pay, and over the hills and far away, o'er the hills and o'er the main, to Flanders, Portugal and Spain. Queen Anne commands and we obey, over the hills and far away. The constables they search about, to find such brisk young fellows out. Then let us be volunteers, I say, over the hills and far away. O'er the hills and o'er the main, to Flanders, Portugal and Spain. Queen Anne commands and we obey, over the hills and far away. Since now the French are low and brought, and wealth and honours to be got, who then behind would sneak and stay, when over the hills and far away, over the hills and far away, over the hills and far away, Queen Anne commands and we obey, over the hills and far away, no more from sound of drum retreat, while Marlborough and Galway beat the French and Spaniards every day, when over the hills and far away, over the hills and far away, to Flanders, Portugal and Spain, Queen Anne commands and we obey, over the hills and far away. He that is forced to go and fight, will never get to honour by it, while volunteers shall win the day, when over the hills and far away, it's over the hills and far away, to Flanders, Portugal and Spain, Queen Anne commands and we obey, over the hills and far away. What though our friends, our absence mourn, we shall with honour, shall we churn, when, and then we'll sing both night and day, over the hills and far away, over the hills and o'er the main, to Flanders, Portugal and Spain, Queen Anne commands and we obey, over the hills and far away. The apprentice Tom, he may refuse to wipe his angry master's shoes, for when he's free to sing and play. Over the hills and far away, over the hills and o'er the main, to Flanders, Portugal and Spain, Queen Anne commands and we obey, over the hills and far away, over rivers, bogs and springs. We all shall live as great as kings, and plunder get both night and day, when over the hills and far away, over the hills and far away, the Flanders, Portugal and Spain, King George commands and we obey, over the hills and far away. We then shall lead more happy lives, by getting rid of brats and wives, then scold on both night and day, when over the hills and far away, over the hills and over the main, to Flanders, Portugal and Spain, Queen Anne commands and we obey, over the hills and far away. Ah, Robin! Come on then, boys, and you shall see, we everyone shall captains be, 
To horrid rant as well as they When over the hills and far away Over the hills and far away To Flanders, Portugal and Spain King George commands and we obey Over the hills and far away For if we go, tis one to ten but we return, all gentlemen, gentlemen, as well as they, went over the hills and far away, over the hills and far away, to Flanders, Portugal, and Spain. Queen Anne commands and we obey, over the hills and far away. So yeah, I can imagine a room full of guys singing that song and kind of pounding on the table, um, trying to get people's attention and kind of taking more dramatic verses. Uh, I decided to include this version of me singing with Robin on my back. Uh, feels like it adds stakes to singing kind of very similar length uh, songs back to back. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Robin wasn't terribly entertained, so I had to clap and dance and do all kinds of stuff to keep him keep them going. I should also say, uh, I was a little distracted with rabbit on my back. So I definitely fall victim to just falling into what John Tam sings. So the verses, like the chorus as written throughout, um, the setting is always Queen Anne commands, but my brain kind of slipped to King George sometimes. I should also mention that it, there's sort of a weird musical thing going on with all of these settings. And I, I don't know, I'm adjusting it because my brain can't really process it, maybe because of John Tams, but technically as written, this is, this is how the melody's written. Yeah, oftentimes the there's like missing key signatures maybe or something going on with these uh, with with Jockey's Lamentation anyway. It just like doesn't really feel like that's how the song's supposed to go, and so I also end up defaulting to kind of how John Tam sings it. Uh, so the next kind of era of this tune comes from uh, the 1720s. So uh, in 1728, uh, Over the Hills and Far Away, featured in John Gay's The Beggar's Opera. And The Beggar's Opera, if you're not familiar, is sort of the first, um, like, lampooning, I guess, or, or like satire in English language, uh, in England anyway, the first English one. Uh, well, I... I guess it's the first English one, maybe. Uh, I think. The Gentle Shepherd uh, by Alan Ramsey, I guess technically might be in Scots and not English, but uh, it predates um, The Beggar's Opera. And supposedly lots of the music in The Beggar's Opera was in Alan Ramsey's um, the, the Gentle Shepherd up in Scotland. But I haven't... I kind of poked around a little bit uh, through the various collections of lyrics to see if I recognize anything. And... Uh, yeah, nothing jumped out at me. So I, I don't think Over the Hills and Far Away is in The Gentle Shepherd. Um, but the nice thing about these, I mean, it's a satire, right? So uh, John Gay and Ellen um, Ramsey were kind of like lampooning or, or satirizing uh, Italian operas. And uh, what I like about it as a person who sings is that it is short. So these are just very brief, not like full operas, but just... Everybody recognized the melody. We got somebody singing the story. Uh, the plot for this part of Over the Hills and Far Away is like somebody's got to run away because his his the it's like a failed loving you know partnership and the the man's running away because the 
the parents are going to get them. <laughs> is what the, the premise is. So anyway, here is Over the Hills and Far Away from The Beggar's Opera in 1728. And in my arms embraced my lass, warm amidst eternal frost, to soon my half year's night would pass. Were I sold on Indian soil, soon as the burning day was closed, I could mock the sultry toil, when on my charmer's breast reposed. And I would love you all the day, every night would kiss and play. If with you we'd fondly stray, oh, those and far away. Yes, I would go with thee, but oh, how shall I speak it? I must be torn from thee, we must part. How part? We must, we must, my papa and mamma are set against thy life. They now, even now, are in search after thee. They are preparing evidence against thee. Thy life depends upon a moment. So yeah, it, it, like these are just short little songs, and uh, it's honestly I had a little too much fun reading through the Beggar's Opera and kind of singing all the songs, uh, all these like short little like here's a verse of a song, um, and then here's a bunch of dialogue. It's kind of a fun story. Like it's supposed to be lampooning. I I recorded another version where I was doing really amped up kind of over the top Punch and Judy style voices, but uh, it's sort of it's frustrating. Like I know this episode's going to get a lot more attention than it than they normally would, but I'm not sure that people are going to stick around when it turns out that Lark in the Morning Part 1 is just me singing a bunch of uh, <laughs> opera songs, but uh, it's just really interesting. It's one of the challenging things about this episode. Um, anyway, so uh, that's 1728 is when The Beggar's Opera uh, is written by John Gay using this already popular folk song and then with these lyrics to satire Italian opera. Uh, right away in 1730, another play comes out called The Fashionable Lady or The Holocron's Opera that also uses um, Over the Hills and Far Away. It's very similar and the story is really different, but it's the same kind of approach where it's just short, short songs in between. And the words here, it's almost exactly the same music. Um, and you'll notice like that I didn't make any adjustments there. It's in C and that's sort of how, that's how it plays. Um, anyway, the Over the Hills and Far Away and Harlequin's Opera is to Italy's in, in Everett Shore or France's fiddling nation stray. Thy trick shall here enchant no more. Fly, wily traitor, far away over the hills and o'er the main. For let the wily traitor stray no longer bear his idle reign, but waft him far he winds away. Um, and then that's it. And then it's into, into dialogue stuff. Again, I'll have a link in the description here, even though I didn't really perform it. Um, there's some good songs in this one, too. Fashionable Lady or Harlequin. Um, it's interesting stuff, anyway. So that's 1730. Um, the next, you know, in terms of, like, age-wise, um, 
I guess it's a good thing. It, it, it's a good thing to have a break from songs. So let's do uh, Oswald's Caledonian Pocket Companion Volume Two. So this is a recording probably in the 1750s or so was when this this set comes out. Uh, it's one of these lovely James Oswald uh, James Oswald settings where there's you know a couple variations and it's uh, it's a good palate cleanser <laughs> from all of these songs and uh, or, or intermission anyway because we have a couple more we have a couple more songs. There's a Jacobite song. Um, and then there's sort of a, a royalist uh, or a loyalist song. Loyalist? A Hanoverian song, I guess. Uh, but anyway, let's do uh, Oswald's Caledonian Pocket Companion from probably the 1750s. Uh, this is Over the Hills and Far Away. <laughs> That's really quite lovely. Uh, I think, you know, there's no better order than a chronological order, so might as well keep this little uh, musical interlude going with James Aird's setting for O'er the Hills and Far Away. This is from volume two of Aird's collections, which means it's actually Aird. Uh, feels like most of the Aird tunes I play are from the McFadden years, like when Aird is, has passed away. But, oh, Robin also feels that way. Uh, anyway, here's O'er the Hills and Far Away. It's definitely... Um, yeah, it does some does some different things than Oswald did, and it's a significantly shorter, of course. So here we go. Probably seventeen eighties.
Aird's collections are just so so stellar. Um, all right, so the next kind of moving chronologically anyway from publication date uh, is kind of back to songs. I'm going to pull at all the threads that I uh, am exploring for this episode on kind of this over the hills and far away theme for songs, and then we'll backtrack to back into the 18th century for another song that is similar but different, uh, which is more of the uh, connecting line to get to Lark in the Morning. But anyway, um, this next song comes from a collection I've been really interested in exploring some more, and this is just going to really uh, scratch the surface of it. But uh, it's from one of my, uh, somebody I'm really interested in named James Hogg, uh, who we've I've talked about on the podcast before. He is a contributor to um, Campbell's anthology, uh, where I, I sang some songs uh, from the borders and stuff before. Um, so interesting cat. This book is the Jacobite relics of Scotland, uh, being the songs, airs, and legends of the adherents of the House of Stuart, collected and illustrated by James Hogg. I think there's a sense that um, some of this might be fantasy. Uh, some of them might be genuine, like recorded, uh, you know, artifacts. Some of them are genuine, you know, like continuing folklore. And I'm not quite sure how to separate all those things quite yet. But uh, we're not going to get into that too much. Um, but uh, on this episode, but what is interesting is it sees we see how this tune "Over the Hills and Far Away" like it's used in different operas. It's a very catchy tune. It's been around since the um, 16th century for sure, probably the 15th century. Um, and so it winds up being a political tune too as well. So there's uh, Hogg records a Jacobite tune and an anti-Jacobite tune using the same melody. So so basically as appendix, uh, as an appendix in the book, Hogg has a collection of Whig tunes is what he calls it. So for the Jacobite version, it's Over the Seas and Far Away. And for the Whig version, it is uh, Over the Hills and Far Away, uh, much more kind of typical chorus anyway. So uh, anyway, I'm going to do them both together. We'll, uh, they're, they're shorter than some of the other things and... Uh, I think we'll just get through these as the the last song versions of Over the Hills and Far Away, um, real recognizable as that set. So anyway, here's Over the Seas and Far Away, and the, uh, Far Away, and then Over the Hills and Far Away, uh, just put together here. Friends, let's jointly pray and pledge our vow on this great day. And of no man will stand in awe, but drink his health that's far away. He's o'er the seas and far away. He's o'er the seas and far away. Yet of no man will stand in awe, but drink his health that's far away. Though he was banished from his throne by parasites, and now we're gone. To view the shades which are below, we'll drink his health that's far away. He's o'er the seas and far away. He's o'er the seas and far away. Yet of no man will stand in awe, but drink his health that's far away. Ye Presbyterians, where ye lie, go home and keep your sheep and kye. For it were fitting for you are to drink his health that's far away. He's o'er the seas and far away. He's o'er the seas and far away. Yet of no man will stand in awe, but drink his health that's far away. 
But I hope he shortly will be home, and in good time we'll mount the throne, and then we'll curse and ban the law that keep it a king so long awa. He's o'er the seas and far awa. He's o'er the seas and far awa, and yet of no man we'll stand in awe and drink his health that's far awa. Disloyal Whigs dispatched and go to visit Null and Will below. Tis fit you at their coal should blow. Whilst we drink their health that's far awa. He's o'er the seas and far awa. He's o'er the seas and far awa. Yet of no man we'll stand in awe, but drink his health that's far awa. From barren Caledonian lands, where Appian uncontrolled commands, the rebel clans in search of prey came over the hills and far away, over the hills and far away, over the hills and far away, the rebel clans in search of prey came over the hills and far away. With them a vain pretender came, and perjured traitors dupes to roam, resolved all without delay to conquer, die, or run away, over the hills and far away, over the hills and far away, the rebel clans in search of prey came over the hills and far away. Though popish priests among us rule, each weak deceived believing fool, when justice shall be her sword display, she'll drive these locusts far away, over the hills and far away, over the hills and far away. The rebel clans in search of prey came over the hills and far away. Let Britain's firm in freedom's cause, assist our rights, support our laws, defend our faith, our king obey, and treason shall soon lose its sway. Over the hills and far away, over the hills and far away, the rebel clans in search of prey came over the hills and far away. Our sons of war with martial flame shall bravely merit last in fame, Great George shall Britain's scepter sway, and chase rebellion far away, over the hills and far away, over the hills and far away, the rebel clans in search of prey came over the hills and far away. I'm not sure if, if all that works, but that's uh, I, I played the melody first on a B flat uh, generation whistle, 
And then at the end there, I played the melody again, but this time on my new uh, low G whistle from uh, Killarney Whistles, the Thunderbird. It's a heck of a whistle. We'll talk about it more um, in a future episode, I guess, once I get a little bit more comfortable with it. It's definitely the most challenging whistle I've ever owned, um, but rewarding. It sounds really great, but it is not a forgiving whistle. If you <laughs> if you think you can fudge a fingering and it'll, it'll work out, uh, it don't. You really got to be precise, and uh, it is also kind of lets you know when you're not in the right octave. Uh, anyway, so those are uh, love that love that collection of music. Uh, I hope to kind of explore it uh, on its own episode uh, in the future. James Hogg, uh, like I said, that uh, Albans Anthology collection from Campbell uh, that we have been kind of used uh, in in previous seasons is an interesting collection of tunes uh, and and songs and hog features heavily in Campbell's uh, collection as well. So anyway, uh, something else to look forward to, I suppose. So Over the Hills and Far Away or Over the Hills and Far Away is clearly a popular tune uh, in in Scotland and uh, it shows up in Highland Pipe settings as well. Uh, The earliest one that I can find is kind of in that 1840s era. So uh, I think... I'll, I'll go sort of least to most complicated, uh, which conveniently kind of matches uh, the chronological order as well. So uh, with the, the one maybe out of order tune is the most simple one, and that is uh, Thomas Glenn's New and Complete Tutor for the Great Highland Bagpipe from Over the Hills and Far Away. Uh, it's really interesting, in, in Thomas Glenn's setting, there's very minimal gracing. It's clear to me anyway that you're supposed to add more gracing, but um, it's kind of weird when you have a setting that doesn't have much gracing, but there is some. It's like, why does why this note matter so much? Um, so anyway, it's a 2-4 two four, uh, two four tune in Thomas Glenn's Tudor, and uh, I play it through one time, kind of as written by Glenn, uh, as much as I can keep myself from adding too many embellishments, and then uh, second time through, I add some uh, significant gracing and things. So I found Thomas Glenn's uh, tutor from Kilshawn's website, and, and there it mentions that the first edition came out uh, in 1843, and this is the second edition that the setting comes from, which came out in 1850 or so. And I went looking through like the, the introduction to see if there was any discussion of when to play Grace Notes, and there isn't, um, but he does kind of mention them. Uh, 
Anyway, he says, in playing the following examples, we see the great beauty and utility of the warblers. Without them, these eight notes would appear in playing one continued sound, whereas now they sound quite distinct by this warbling peculiar to our national instrument. I don't know that I had noticed the peculiar uh, or the warbling term used to describe grace notes before. Um, but yeah, he's got an example then that is just lots of uh, lots of little individual grace notes. So I don't know, we might, uh, we might do a deeper look into Thomas Glenn's collection at some point. It doesn't look like there's anything terribly uh, wild in the uh, complete tutor section, but uh, other than warbler. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I should read the whole thing closer to see if there's any more warbler uh, fun stuff. Uh, anyway, the next Highland pipe setting we're going to do is our good old-fashioned favorite uh, Angus Mackay's Piper Assistant, uh, first published in 1844, so a year after Thomas Glenn. Really different setting, and uh, uh, I like it. It's, again, kind of as a, as a straight march. Uh, it's in, in common time, but uh, I really like the... Uh, the second part, and there's also a cool thing here that uh, I'm going to play Willie Ross's section uh, setting later, but I had a hard time getting Willie Ross's William Ross's section or playing correctly because the way that Angus Mackay has it feels a little too perfect because he's got this kind of repeat in order to to finish it. Anyway, here is "Over the Hills and Far Away" from Angus Mackay's Piper Assistant in 1844. Last of the Highland Pipe settings is going to come to us from William Ross's collection. Uh, this is from the 1870s. William Ross was a piper for Queen Victoria and uh, a pipe major to the Black Watch for a while. Um, but yeah, Queen Victoria's pipe major, or piper rather, for quite a while. This is by far my favorite, but it's also the most busy of all of these settings um, in this way that, yeah. Vaguely, I, I remember kind of some of these settings from this is another setting I got off Killshawn, but like really heavily embellishment, kind of doing some uh, over the top stuff. But I think it's really effective with this. So, this is Over the Hills and Far Away. It's a 2 4 march um, from William Ross.
yeah, really, really rather enjoy that kind of busy setting. Um, so that's, that's it for Highland pipe settings I'm going to look at. I want to look at a couple uh, additional sets. I'm kind of cognizant of the time. I honestly didn't intend for this to be a part one and part two episode, but Over the Hills and Farwa is clearly a big enough, you know, melody and song um, that it's worthy of its own episode. So that sort of makes sense. Um, there's a couple kind of missed threads I couldn't find. So in Pete Stewart's uh, Welcome Home, My Dearie book, uh, he has Over the Hills and Far Away from uh, in Walsh's Caledonian Country Dances. I couldn't find it in Walsh's, um, and the setting that Pete has is not Over the Hills and Far Away. It's another tune I recognize. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, though. It's this one, the... Like, it's that melody, which is definitely a tune I have played and heard, um, but I don't know it as Over the Hills and Far Away. And like I said, after looking through Walsh's uh, Caledonia Country Dances, uh, a couple different editions of it, I couldn't find that tune. Uh, the other thread I was hoping to find that I couldn't uh, is uh, in, in one of Matt Seattle's kind of liner notes. He mentions that David Young has a setting, but I couldn't find it in the Drummond manuscript or the McFarland manuscript, so... Um, yeah, not sure, not sure what those threads are. So we might pick some of that up uh, where we leave off. But you know, "Over the Hills and Far Away" is clearly a tune that has uh, long roots in the the Scottish borders, and so it's uh, a fitting tune that has been kind of embraced by the LBPS as a session tune. So I thought I would play uh, the session setting from the Blue Book, which is kind of the available for everybody. Um, session tune book for LBPS. So if you go to a LBPS session, they have copies of this lying around supposedly, and uh, you can download it off their website. And there's a lot of good tunes. It was sort of trying to solve the problem of, hey, we all hang out and nobody plays the same tune. So here's a joint repertoire. And I, I've played from the Blue Book before, um, but anyway, here is the LBPS kind of approved setting of Over the Hills and Far Away. Approved is the wrong word. Embraced is the right word. Certainly a serviceable enough setting. Uh, we're going to go out on uh, um, um, another LBPS-associated setting. This one comes from Matt Seattle. Uh, he has a collection of tunes called Over the Hills and Far Away. And clearly, like, the culmination, the last tune uh, in this set is... Or the last tune in this book is a kind of monster 12-variant... 12-part uh, uh, variation set of Over the Hills and Far Away. And it's a doozy. Um, 
I didn't nail it, uh, but it is, a, it is a good one to go out on. It's also a good one to go out on because kind of the whole way that this started, like I said, at some point in like looking at Matt's notes or traditional tuner archive, I saw that over, um, Lark in the Morning as a concordance with uh, Over the Hills and Far Away. When I told Matt this, I was like, hey, did you see this? Uh, he was like, yeah, they say that. It's not true. It's not the same. Uh, and then I was like, oh, okay. And then I kept digging and very much demonstrated to myself that it, they are the same. They, they do have concordances. Um, but, you know, I don't know if I, I don't know if I convinced Matt or not. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I've not convinced any of you because I haven't, I haven't played the jig yet. Uh, so next episode, we'll, we'll tuck into the jig settings of Over the Hills and Far Away and how we get from this lovely song that we've been exploring all episode to my favorite session tune, Lark in the Morning. Uh, anyway, so here is Matt Seattle's Over the Hills and Far Away from his 2006 book of the same title. Uh, it's uh, a good collection of tunes. Um, yeah, i sorry to leave you hanging, uh, but in a couple weeks we'll be back with the conclusion of Lark in the Morning, I think. I think I can do it all in one episode. I'm a little afraid that it's only half an episode, but um, I don't know, I think I've got over a dozen uh, other settings for uh, the tunes that kind of lead into the Irish setting of um, Lark in the Morning. So anyway, here comes Over the Hills and Far Away. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Again, special thank you to my just stellar guest hosts, uh, John Charles and James. Um, yeah, if anybody's, you know, I hesitate to say this, but, you know, Gary, Gary West has, you know, obviously started his podcast back up. It is immediately the most popular bagpiping podcast on the planet. Um, and I've been trying to like, you know, he's a different league. He's a BBC radio guy, but I'm trying to get him to embrace bagpipe podcasting. And the only way I can think of to like embrace the podcast medium is to go on the droning on podcast. So anyway, if you feel like emailing Gary West and telling him how much you're enjoying, uh, enjoy your piping, mention, hey, you should really go on the Droning On podcast and talk to James like all the other podcast hosts do. Uh, I just want to, I don't know, I want to hear that, I want to hear that episode. So uh, anyway, thanks everybody for listening uh, this far. This is a real song-heavy episode. Uh, uh, next time we've only got one song and I think I'm going to have you and McCall sing it rather than myself. So at least I think there's only one song, you know. I, th I think there might be more. I think there's only one. But uh, anyway, here is Over the Hills and Far Away uh, from Matt Seattle setting. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash waytoutwog, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Uh...